Today and next week, uh, next Sunday, we're going to be thinking about prayer. This is one of those times, I think, in, in our lives that we have been called to pray and felt the need to pray more than perhaps any other time in our life. And uh, it's time for us to maybe think a little bit more deeply about prayer and what it is and how it blesses our lives. So this week, next Sunday, we're going to think about prayer. And then the following week, which will be about the 14th of February, so I think that's the date, um, the second Sunday in February, we're going to begin a new series where we're going to be talking about the body of Christ and specifically those one another passages that we find in the New Testament that describe how we live together, not just as a community, but a community like no other. A community that it's even though it's so diverse, there is such a unity in it because of the mind of Christ that we possess. And that's going to start uh, two weeks from today. But this morning, we want to think about prayer. And I want to begin with a, a story by Richard Mao. He tells the story of this American tourist who goes to Israel and goes to Jerusalem and does what all tourists do when they go to Jerusalem. They end up in front of the Western Wall. We used to call it the Wailing Wall. It's called the Western Wall. And he sees a bunch of devout Jewish men praying. And if you've ever been to Israel, you know there's a section of the wall and the, their face right up against the wall as they pray. And this tourist begins to observe this one particular devout Jewish man at his prayers. He sees his body is rocking back and forth. There are times when he beats his chest. There are times when he raises his hand to the air. And when the prayer is done, the tourist asks the Jewish man, said, what were you praying about? And he says, I pray for righteousness. And I, I pray for health, especially the health of my family. And I pray for peace, peace in the world, but especially in Jerusalem. And the tourists ask him, he says, are these prayers effective? And the Jewish man says, you know, sometimes it's like talking to a wall. I think that describes the nearly universal experience of humans at prayer. Prayer is tough and prayer is difficult at times, no doubt. And I think there are a lot of reasons why that prayer can seem like it's talking to a wall, especially in our culture, but I want to give you two. The first one is bad definitions. Bad definitions. Primarily, we think of, uh, we have this utilitarian view of prayer, that prayer is, is practical more so than personal, that it's functional more than, than intimate. We think that the point of prayer is to get stuff from God or to get God to do stuff for us. Basically, we talk to God like we talk to Santa Claus. If I were to ask you right now to do a little bit of an evaluation of your own prayer life, would it be dominated with getting stuff? Getting the right job, the right girl, the right guy, the right school, the right degree, the right house, Good health, keeping disaster at bay, keeping it away from family and friends. Now I'm going to say this a couple of times this morning and even next week. There's absolutely nothing wrong with asking God for anything. In fact, we are taught to do that very thing. But to leave prayer at, at the level of requesting is not to understand what... There's so much more to prayer than just the asking for stuff. So first reason we struggle with prayer is bad definitions. We think it's just about asking, asking, asking. The second is illusions of control. Is prayer really needed? Is prayer really even necessary? 
If we, human beings, are in control of our circumstances, our world, our destiny, how many of you can say, as I can, that I can get whatever I want whenever I want it? One writer says it this way about our culture and prayer. The wealthy rely on talent and resources to solve immediate problems and insurance policies and retirement plans to secure the future problems. In other words, we think we think we control the environment and the circumstances in which we live. We think we're in control, so why do you have to pray? So why do we pray? It's because of this definition of prayer. Prayer is about God and not getting. Prayer is about God and not getting. Sometimes we are so focused on getting God's stuff that we forget that the the bigger thing that prayer is about is getting God Himself. Now again, let me say this one more time. There is a very important part of our prayer life that is going to God with requests. Did not Jesus teach us to pray, give us this day our daily bread? But getting is not at the heart, it's not at the center, it's not at the core of prayer. Prayer is about God. It is the creator of the universe, God, who is at the core and the center of prayer. And prayer is one of the best ways, it's one of the the, the greatest ways that we as human beings can draw near to God, draw near to Him. I mean, think about your closest relationships, your closest friendships, the ones that you're always eager to be with. Somebody calls you up on the phone and says, hey, you want to hang out? And you go, absolutely. Where do you want to hang out? It doesn't matter. You just want to hang out. You just want to be there. You're eager to be in their presence. You enjoy them. You feel safe with them. You sense the loyalty and you sense the love. You share the good times and the bad times. There's not anything that they don't know about you that you don't know about them. Those are not the kinds of relationships that you run away from. Those are the kind of relationships that you run to. And quite frankly, folks, that's my goal. This week and next, I want us to think about prayer becoming something that we are drawn to, not dread. That, that prayer becomes something that, that, that we find ourselves wanting to be a part of Day in, day out, day in and day out, we want to be a part of in that relationship with God that allows us to feel His closeness and ours to Him. Here is the fact that I think lies at the heart of that kind of prayer. Prayer is our personal interaction with the Creator who eagerly engages with us as a loving Father. Let me say that again. Prayer is our personal interaction with the Creator who eagerly engages with us as a loving Father. Again, prayer is not easy. Prayer is difficult, but it should not be like talking to a wall. And for me personally, in fact, the sermon this morning is more, a little bit probably, and next week too, a little bit more self-referential than you'll be comfortable or I'll be comfortable with, But there are five realities that I think about most of the time when I go to prayer and take these into account as we, as a church, go into a prayer. And all five of these, quite frankly, and I apologize right now, each one of these probably deserve its own sermon. But I'm going to leave all of that to your sanctified imagination to continue the reflection and the thought. I just want to give these these five realities behind the reality of prayer for you to think about as you pray later today. Number one, how do you break down the wall? Remember that the theology of creation. Creation tells us that there is a God. 
Creation tells us that there is a God. Two passages in particular, Romans chapter 1, Psalm 19. Paul is writing to the church in Rome and he says, What may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made. And then in Psalm 19, David writes these beautiful words. Psalm 19, C.S. Lewis thought that maybe it was one of the greatest pieces of literature ever written. But David writes, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the skies proclaim the work of His hands. There is something about creation, there's something about the world that, that says something about God. But it's a struggle, especially when we come to prayer. And what is it about creation as a reality behind prayer? I mean, sometimes, and George Buttrick probably put this the best. He's a great theologian the past 100 years. About one year into World War II, 1942, he writes about the struggle that Americans were having in prayer. And he described that struggle, as this is what most people were thinking. He said, for most people, prayer is a spasm of words lost in a cosmic indifference. Now, the scripture that I just read, the scriptures that I just read, Romans and Psalm 19, tell a different story. Now, it's, it's true, the world has fallen. We do not deny that. The world is fallen. It is not what it was created to be. Fallenness brings a, a harsh cruelty. But then there are those moments when we find ourselves in the woods or at the beach on top of a mountain. And there is this curious multi dimensional beauty to creation that shouts this is no accident God put it together God did this God made this there is a God behind this creation a question that I think every human being has to ask is why did God make us and place us in a world where we not only survive but can thrive I mean, he could have given us one food to eat to sustain life. Why is there the variety of vegetables and variety of, of fruits? Why, why pineapples and kiwi and kumquats? Why are all of these different fruits available to us? It's because there is a God behind the creation who doesn't want to create just for us to live and just, for us just to survive. But there is a God with our interests in mind that has created a world in which we can discover pleasure and laughter and all of these good things. And so when we, go to, when we go to prayer, creation, that there is a God, a, a God that we should be curious about behind that prayer, which leads us to the second thing, Jesus. Jesus teaches us that God is approachable. One day, the disciple Philip asked Jesus to show him and the other guys, the other eleven, the Father, meaning God. And Jesus says to them, and this is John chapter 14, he says, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. In other words, when you're looking at me, you're looking at God. You're looking at the nature of the Father. In Colossians chapter 1, Paul kind of takes up this same theme, answering the same kinds of questions. And he says, Jesus, the Son is the image of the invisible God, which means that all of those things that are invisible about God, they become visible in Jesus. When you look at Jesus, what's invisible about God is visible. When you look at Jesus, you're looking at the Father. 
And then the Hebrew writer, whoever that cat is, says the sun, meaning Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory. That, that Jesus just radiates what it means for God to be glorious. And he is, he continues, the exact representation of his being. When you look at Jesus, you see God. And when you see God in Jesus, what do you see? God is approachable. Jesus came for a lot of reasons. Reconciliation, redemption, the ending of our enslavement to sin, forgiveness, reconciliation with God. But one of them was to remind us, remember that Jesus did not live just three years, the last three years of his life, but there were 33 years in which he lived on planet earth. It was to remind us that God is not scary. That doesn't mean he's not holy, but God is not scary. The first humans were in God's presence in the Garden of Eden without shame, without fear or guilt. And what changed was us. Not God, but us, the humans. And then Jesus comes and he begins to show what it is. He is, he is, he is radiating God. The invisible nature of God is visible in the character of Jesus. He is Emmanuel, which means God with us. And what do we see? There are little kids that are climbing into Jesus' lap. A woman with, with a rep, and not a good one, comes to a dinner party, washes his feet, and, and dries them with her tears. There are human beings, there are people whose lives would completely change into lives of love and forgiveness and hope and kindness and gentleness after being in His presence. There were desperate people all over the Mediterranean world who would track Him down. And when they find Him, they not only find Him, but they find hope and they find healing and forgiveness. The reality of Jesus in thinking about prayer is that God is approachable. You are coming into the presence of God. And then thirdly, the Holy Spirit. It's not just us as human beings, even though that's what we are. We're His children. The Holy Spirit reminds us that we are God's children. When you become a disciple of Jesus, God puts His Spirit in you. It's all over the place, but let me read you two passages out of Romans 8. The Spirit, verse 15, you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, say these two words, Abba, Father. Say it again, Abba, Father. And say it softly, like a child, to Abba, Father. The Spirit, verse 26, helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. You realize that a daily occurrence in the life of a disciple of Jesus is God the Spirit in you reminding you that you are a child of God who is your Father. And as children speaking to our Father, there is not one hurt, 
There's not one horror. There's not one poverty. There is not one urgency that escapes His understanding. God the Spirit in you and in me makes sure that God the Father understands everything. The reality of the Holy Spirit in you is part of the reality behind prayer. And then there's the Word. This is the fourth thing. You go to the Word. Genesis all the way to the maps. And what you find is that prayer is explained. You find examples of of people praying. You find teachings on what it means to pray and how to pray. You find parables. And you know the story behind parables, right? Parables are stories that are told that are meant to slow you down, to stop you in your tracks so that you can think about what you just heard, that story and how it affects you. Over and over there are examples and teachings and parables on how to pray. And so part of the reality of the Word in your hand is teaching you and instructing you how to speak to God. And that God does listen. And that God does answer. But as we begin every one of our prayers, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then the last thing is this. And we'll just call it the answer. We'll call it the answer where prayer is proven. People pray Throughout the Bible, prayers are answered. There's there's that broken-hearted woman over there in 1 Samuel chapter 1. And many of you know what that's like. You want a child so badly you can taste it, but it's not coming to fruition. And Hannah prays for a child. And Samuel is born to her. There's that, that old prophet 1 Kings chapter 18, Elijah. Pray seven times. Drought ends. The rains come. Over in the the Christian scriptures, Peter in Acts chapter 12, along with James, has been captured by a king of the Jews, Herod. Herod decides that he's going to put James to the sword, chops his head off. It just pleases everybody. His his popularity ratings just kind of shoot up. And he goes, oh, Well, I've got the big fish. I've got Peter in prison. Maybe I'll do the same, and my popularity will soar. And you know what happens? The church prays. They pray, and they pray, and the answer is given. Peter is cut loose from prison and continues his ministry until he ends up in Rome. How about the prayers that have been answered in your own life? I remember... um, 1984, Ellen and I were going to Africa, a uh, survey trip to figure out where we wanted to do mission work. Uh, I, was in the, I was ending undergraduate and starting graduate school kind of that same year, working full-time. Ellen, same thing, working full-time. We had exhausted all of our resources. We had begged, borrowed, and uh, we, well, we didn't steal and, and the money that we needed. To, to go to Africa, and we were down to $168. And in 1984, for us, that was a deal breaker. We were living on less than $500 a month. And it, uh, it just dawned on me, I need $168, and I don't know where to get it. And it wasn't long after that that I got a letter in the mail, day or two. And praying, you know, where am I going to find this? Where am I going to find this? Father, where am I going to find this? 
I get a letter in the mail, and it's a card from a friend that had graduated the year before. He was in California. And I opened it up, and it was a check for $170. And there was one of the most encouraging notes I had ever read in my life about pursuing ministry. And I read that thing, and I just turned to mush. I just started bawling, crying my eyes out. And then I started crying even harder when I realized that the check had been written two days before I had realized that I needed that money. William Temple, a couple of hundred years ago, said, you know, when I pray, coincidences happen all the time. And when I don't pray, coincidences don't happen. You know, prayer, prayer is what makes us. It is our decision on a daily basis that we are going to live in the presence of God. Prayer is what speeds us forward in the mission of God and in our own personal mission to become people of the kingdom of God. It is, it is the exercise, it is the work, it is the energy, it is the action of what it means to say that I believe that there is a God whose, whose Son came to earth and redeemed us and has changed us and whose Spirit lives in us and we look forward to that day when He comes again and we see Him face to face and we will not be afraid because we can come into His presence now without fear. <laughs> prayer can feel like it's talking to a wall. But at the heart of prayer is our personal interaction with the Creator who eagerly engages with us as a loving Father. Amen? Let's stand and sing.